Can we give God thanks for the worship this morning? Amen. Would you pray with me? God, we are grateful. We are grateful to be gathered where we can remember the true object of our worship. Lord, there are so many tempting things to worship besides you. And we struggle. If we're honest, we all struggle with what we worship. And so today, Lord, may we completely reaffirm our commitment to worship you and you alone. We are so grateful for your grace, your forgiveness, your mercy that's found in Jesus Christ that's represented at this table today. And we ask, Lord, that we would live grateful lives in response to that. And so today, Lord, we want to talk about the stewardship of our lives, your calling for how we live our lives. And to that end, I pray that you might pour upon me the gift of preaching, that my very frail and broken and human words might, by the power of your Holy Spirit, become your living word, uniquely crafted for each and every one of our hearts. We pray it with great confidence, for we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, today is Stewardship Sunday, and, um, you know, I'd love to let you know, Stewardship Sunday is a lot like Christmas and Easter. Um, I have to preach pretty much the same message every year, and I have to figure out a new way to do it. And uh, it's just challenging, you know, every time. How am I going to say it? So I just pray that this isn't something you're like, oh, well, I've heard that 50 times before. Um, But today, the theme that I'm going to focus on is the essential God-given responsibility that each of us has to be stewards of the whole of our lives. And so to begin, let's remind ourselves of what stewardship means. The careful and responsible management of something entrusted to one's care, right? Which our lives have been entrusted to our care by God. So we are called to steward our lives. Speaking of the management of something entrusted to one's care, did you hear about the two woodpeckers who went all in in California? CNN reports that a pest control technician recently uncovered a massive trove of acorns cleverly stashed in the wall's home by a pair of California woodpeckers. They would drop it particularly in a way down the chimney and it would roll into the wall and then they had another way to get into that space to get to the acorns. When they got the acorns out, the pile was 20 feet high and weighed 700 pounds. You could say if the stewardship of their lives appears to be focused on only one thing, maximizing acorns, then wow, they killed it, right? They did a great job. But I wonder what they missed out on in order to stockpile more acorns than they could ever eat, right? Sometimes our focus in the stewardship of our life, it gets overly, uh, singularly focused. If we took stock of the stewardship of our lives... What would our pile of acorns be? Are we stewarding all of our life or are we overly focused on one thing or another? Oftentimes when we think of God's call to stewardship, we think he is only interested in the ways we steward our gifts to give to the church. In truth, as important as that is, it's only part The greatest gift and responsibility God gives each person is the faithful stewardship of all of our lives. So from the creator's perspective, what does a well-stewarded life entail? Today's passage from Romans 12 does a great job of describing a well-stewarded life. 
Paul begins with uh, what's most important, what we worship. David Foster Wallace famously uh, spoke uh, in a commencement speech in 2005, I think, about humans and worship. He said this, there is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. What does David mean that non-spiritual worship will eat us alive? Well, later in the same quote of that speech, he says that if we worship money and things, we'll never have enough. If we worship our body or beauty, we will always actually struggle with feeling ugly inside. His point is that whatever we worship besides God is simply inadequate. It's not enough. It isn't that it doesn't work on some level, right? The greatest testimony of that, I mean, I think one of the greatest public um, views or, or, or demonstrations of worship is sporting events. It's unbelievable. If you look at the Old Testament definition of worship, where you're standing and your hands are raised high and you're screaming at the top of your lungs, a football game is not a bad example, right, of what that is. It's, it is worship, right? There, there are people that are so committed to their team that they actually hurt visitors or people of the opposing team, right? Worship can overtake us. And in culture, it's just natural that culture offers us things to worship because culture generally doesn't acknowledge the spiritual very much. Also, um, for most of us though, right, especially those of us who are Christians, it's not a simple either-or proposition. Of course we come here, we're here today to worship God, but when we're immersed in a winner-take-all world, we're tempted to also worship what that world worships right we're immersed in it we are tempted um the problem is sorry god's way of life and the world's way of life are in many ways antithetical what i what i mean is that that the struggle that's within us is as we give in and worship certain things that the world worships um, it's antithetical to what god is asking of us to focus on it's a completely different focus and so then it creates real angst inside of us Maybe that's what David Foster Wallace meant by eat you alive, right? It creates this, this issue. For instance, if life is simply a merciless competition, we will be tempted to worship ourselves or winning, money, physical prowess, power. And the stewardship of our life, right, that would flow from that will focus on self-reliance, being better than, smarter than, more successful than your neighbor. It will emphasize showing off the signs of winning. You must have more than those around you. The bigger house, the more expensive car, the more lavish vacation. When we look around us in our culture, we see this everywhere, don't we? I mean, this is just the world we live in. I feel like high school never ended in some way, right? I mean, we're still trying to one-up each other and to see who's most popular all the time. It gets old, you know? It really does get old. But that's the world we live in. And in sharp contrast to that, Paul describes the ingredients of a very different life. He says, um, Beloved friends, what should be our proper response to God's marvelous mercies? 
to surrender yourselves to God to be in his sacred and to be his sacred living sacrifices. For this becomes your genuine expression of worship. So we've come to worship and the expression of that worship, right, is to surrender ourselves to God. To be sacred living sacrifices. And what he means by that is that we're willing to serve others. We're willing to sacrifice for ourselves. That we're not just looking out for ourselves. Now the other model, right, is only looking out for yourself generally. Maybe your family's included. I don't know who's included, right? But it's a particular group. You don't share well with others. But God is saying the very opposite. Actually, where abundant life is found, where joy is found, is as we are giving. And what's interesting is that the secular world has totally affirmed this. They've shown that generosity works. That when we're generous, when we give away things rather than take things all the time, that actually we're happier. We're more joyful. We have a more abundant life. So... Um, In the kingdom of God, our lives are lived in response to God's mercy. We see that we have needs that we cannot meet. In the other model, we must meet all our needs, right? In this model, we acknowledge sort of what I was saying at the beginning of worship today about acknowledging our brokenness, right? We acknowledge that we have needs, that that God has come. And so in light of God's mercy, we respond rather than to ourselves, we respond to God as the one who gives value and meaning to our life. And in response, Paul says our worship will then be single-mindedly focused on God. Then, if that's so, the stewardship of our life, compared to the other, is focused on living in light of God's love and care. What is that? What does such a sacrificial life look like? It's the polar opposite of what the world emphasizes. Paul tells us, the selfishness and pride that drives our focus on endless competition in the world story, he tells us it's actually sinful. And what he means by sinful is that it's bad for us. It's not just that it's technically wrong in God's book of rules. What sin is is missing the mark in life, right? What it means is that it's not good for us. It makes us miserable. Or as David Foster Wallace says, it eats us alive Inside, And so what Paul says here, he says, Paul says, God has given me grace to speak a warning about pride, which drives that competition, right? And self-reliance. I would ask each of you to be emptied of self-promotion and not create a false image of your importance, which is sort of like an idol, right? We become our own idol. As we realign our worship solely on God, it reminds us of who God is. And it reminds us of who we are. And this really humbles us. And being humbled is a good thing. And in his mercy, God reveals the depth of our pride and how our self-centered, winner-take-all emphasis is not good for us or our world. As we come into the community, as we discover that we need to worship only God and God alone, as hard as that is, that as we do that and we understand our need for God and God's mercy... The overflow of that is that we begin to see the things that are blocking us, that are hindering us, that are creating bondage in our life. And those things God will reveal to us and we can lay them down. We can give them up, even though the world celebrates them. And that's what's so hard, isn't it? The very things that the world celebrates inside of us can destroy us. If all we think about is competition, there's no room for relationships in our life. 
If all we think about is perfection, then we're never good enough. Do you see what I mean? Those things get lifted up as this is what's going to make you successful. And it can as your life is being chewed up inside of you. And then God also reveals, so besides revealing the things we need to give up that are hurting us, he also reveals that we were not created to rely only on ourselves. Paul writes, for though we are many, we've all been mingled into one body in Christ. This means that we are all vitally joined to one another with each contributing to the others. Right. So in a world of individualism, the very opposite, once again, is being lifted up. We actually need community. We need to find a connection with each other. And those of you that are not in home groups, I want you to know that those that are going to home groups, and we have a good group that are, they're discovering this truth that we need each other. We need to rely on each other. I've seen home groups just recently surround members of their group who've had a really bad car accident. Another group where a member lost her parent and the group surrounded them preparing for and helping with the funeral, etc. It's amazing what happens when we have the community of faith around us. And so the world is saying you, you only should rely on yourself. You can't trust others. And then God says, no, actually we need one another. And then Paul says, so a key part of stewarding our lives then involves surrendering and entrusting our lives to God and seeing the benefit of sharing with and taking care of one another. And I would even add to that, allowing ourselves to be taken care of. Because for some of us, we really have been just immersed in the world's story for so long. We think that if we acknowledge that we need each other, that it's just a sign of weakness and we can never do that. But we do need each other. So we have to learn to allow others to serve us as well. Here's Paul again. He says, be devoted to tenderly loving your fellow believers as members of one family. Try to outdo yourselves in respect and honor of one another. Be devoted to tenderly loving your fellow believers. To love one another as Christ has loved us. And so let's stop for a moment and consider a community known for such love and care. I hope St. Andrew's on some level is that for you. We are certainly aiming for that, striving for that. If you're anything like I am in a winner-take-all world... I long for more of this kind of community and connection. A community that isn't afraid to solely worship the one who created us. The one who loves us unconditionally and shows mercy and grace in the face of our brokenness. That we can acknowledge our brokenness and come and gladly worship the God who provided for us. His mercy, his forgiveness, and his grace. As a result, we become a community filled with God's love, care, and tenderness for one another. A community filled with God's love and care and tenderness for one another. A community that encourages authenticity. One that doesn't shy away from our need to rely on one another or the ability to acknowledge the consequences of our sin and our pride. It is so important that we have a confessional prayer every Sunday in worship. It is so important because 
I mean, maybe I'm the only one, but I need to be reminded every week of my pride and my sin. I need to have a moment to really come into God's presence and say, Lord, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. And to receive that weight being lifted off of me. And then we should also want to share that experience of life that we find in this community with others, right? Jim was talking about hospitality in his prayer, right? That we are wanting to be hospitable. We are creating uh, the one campus, one ministry model, right? Where we have building blocks and the School of Fine Arts and Children's Place. And all of them, built into them, is ministry. Jesus is the foundation of all of our outreach, our educational outreach. But also, the ultimate goal is that this story that we're living in the midst of the world story, these opposite stories, that when we embrace this story, we want those people in the school, in building blocks, in SOPA, we want them to discover this story. Why? Because this is where abundant life is found. This is where they're going to discover in a world that is so self-focused and ugly in so many ways, where we find ourselves lost and alone, For them to come into a community where, as Paul says, we're devoted to tenderly loving our fellow believers as members of one family. To try and outdo ourselves in respect and honor for each other. So we want to be hospitable. The goal of this, right? The goal of the educational outreach. The goal of youth ministry when our youth invite their friends in, whatever it is, the goal when you invite, and I've seen this happen, where you're inviting your friends into home groups. They may not come to church here at all, but they come to home groups because they're finding community, prayer, God's grace, and mercy. That's the goal because that's what changes the world. The world's not going to, I hate to break it to you, but whatever Washington's doing with the budget today, it's not going to change the world. It's not going to solve our problems. It's not going to make us feel loved and cared for and safe. But boy, do we want to rely on it. God's story will eat us alive. If we let it. God's story is where life is found. And we want to boldly share that. So as we go out today to break ground on Children's Place, Children's Place, when the building is built, It's going to open up all this space in our facility for building blocks and sofa to grow so that they can be flourishing more as well. And all of it is about the community that Paul is talking about today. It's about us all discovering and sharing with each other what real abundant life looks like. That's an amazing challenge and opportunity for us. So this is a key reason that Paul is saying Christians are to steward their lives in such a way that it produces this way of life. So others around us can come to know this abundant life as well. And that means we can no longer worship both God and money, or God and materialism, or God and power, or God and winning at all costs. Of course, when I say that, this is much easier said than done. So how do we lean into God's story in the midst of the world's story? Well, three things as we close. First, as David Foster Wallace says, we will worship. The only question is what we worship. And as David said, this is the fundamental question that must be answered to know to what end we are stewarding our lives. And for most of us, the answer is our house is divided. 
We worship both things at different times and in different ways. And truth be told, of the two, we naturally have more experience worshiping what culture does than worshiping God. We spend how many hours a week out there and how many hours in here? We practice that worship more often. So it's a challenge, isn't it? But it's a fundamental challenge that we must accept. We must fight the temptation to be uh, so divided in ourselves. For as we see, what culture worships is antithetical to what God desires for us and calls us to steward our lives toward. This is one reason our fall sermon series is focused on experimenting together with the goal of growing and wholeheartedly worshiping God. This whole fall, we're going to be talking about worship. This is the fundamental element of how we learn to steward our lives and make this community what God calls it to be. So we're going to be talking about that this fall. Second, once we worship properly, we must prayerfully and soberly make the course corrections necessary to steward our lives as God intends right? Into this kind of life rather than that kind of life. This means seeing the benefit of prioritizing this community in our daily lives. And that's hard to do, but that's what is asked. That's what God asks. And this includes acknowledging that we are not self-reliant, but rather sinners in need of a savior. It means knowing our need to rely on one another and to share generously with one another. So prayer really allowing worship and what we worship to affect how we steward our whole lives. And then third, since our church family is where abundant life is found, in a world where churches are failing all around us, we will joyfully invest our time and our talent and our treasure to ensure that our church family continues to thrive. And folks, I just have to be honest. We're going to have to continue to sacrificially contribute our time talent and treasure for that to happen the world is making it harder and harder isn't it for this part of life to continue secularization is just growing leaps and bounds in our world and so it's going to take sacrifice from us that's a hard part but if we lose this life what happens to us if we lose this community what happens to us what happens to our children and our children's children this is so important And so will we share our time and our talent as we pray regularly for our church family, as we prioritize weekly worship? Be here. Be here. Come. As we make the sacrifices necessary to experience deep and authentic community by joining home groups, by being a part of our home groups that meet weekly. As we sacrificially serve one another in our community and support other missions that do. And then finally... And prayerfully, we must discern what our financial tithe to God's kingdom work here at St. Andrew's is. This is what the stewarding of our life looks like when we do it as God calls us to do. For we will see how crucial each of our commitment to this community and way of life is. And so stewardship, the careful and responsible management of something entrusted to our care, the stewarding of our lives the stewarding of the church, the stewarding of future generations here, all of that is the calling that God has on us. The greatest gift and responsibility God gives each person is the faithful stewardship of all of that. And as Christians, our whole lives are to point toward God's story. 
And so next week is Dedication Sunday. And this week, I'm challenging all of us during this coming week to prayerfully consider God's call for how to steward our lives and the central role our St. Andrew's family plays in the life God calls us to live. As you discern what God is calling you to give, I want you to know that Amy and I are increasing our financial part of our giving by $100 a month, which puts our annual giving at right around $15,000 a year. Now, this is Amy and Mai's number, and yours, of course, will be your own. Everybody is in a different place. There are people that are giving almost 10 times probably what I'm giving. There are people that aren't giving anything. There's just a huge range. And I think the good news is no one's telling you what to give with your time, talent, or treasure. That's between you and God, right? Um, Scripture just says that it should be sacrificial. That's all Scripture says. He says whatever we give should pinch. We should feel it because that's what's showing us that we're worshiping God more than we're worshiping money honestly, right? It's as we sacrificially give to him. And so I'm asking each of us to come next week ready to sacrificially share what we can contribute of our time and our talent and our treasure to ensure the church family not only survives in the coming years, but thrives. And I'm excited to see what God's about to do. There is so much good in front of us here. We just all have to sacrificially commit to be a part of it. And so as we're considering our generous response to God, we should keep in mind God's generous response to us. That is what this table represents. It tells us how Jesus stewarded his life. Like Paul asked of us, Jesus worshiped God alone. He prioritized authentic community. He humbled himself. He shared with those around him. And ultimately, he even gave his life as a ransom for you and for me. And so Jesus is our role model. He's also our Lord and our Savior, the one that we submit and surrender our lives to. And so may we prepare our hearts this morning to receive the gift of his blood and his body given for us. The Lord be with you.